Today, I sat down with Faith Van Nasser, Senior Vice President in Direct Sourcing and Procurement for McKesson. I got to know Faith from our Think Tank Power Lounge, which I host bi-monthly with other women CPOs. But in this one-on-one conversation, we dove down deep and I got to learn about what shaped Faith and her faith. You will discover how her name plays a significant role in her life. Let's begin this journey. All right. Hi, Faith. How are you today? Thank you for joining me. Great. I'm doing great. It's really a privilege and an honor to be here with you today, Sue. All right. So, Faith, I have to start with your name because I've been (laughs) fascinated by your name, Faith. And uh, I must inquire about your name. Was the name intentionally given by your parents, considering your father's profession? Yeah, so it's a really interesting question, and I'm very lucky, I would say, to be someone who has a story behind their name, so it's funny uh-huh. that you ask me that, because I do. My dad, um, as you know, uh, was a minister, but before my dad was a minister, uh, I would say my dad was a functioning alcoholic, and um, he also happened, surprisingly enough, to work, his job was working for uh, as a delivery person for uh, uh, Pabst Blue Ribbon, which was a beer um, distribution company. So ironically, shortly before I was born, um, my dad had a life-changing experience with God, and that led him to quit his job and really, honestly, just transformed his life day and night. And um, so my dad, you know, without a job, my parents had me coming along, and they were literally living by faith. My parents will tell me stories about how, you know, the, the the groceries in the refrigerator were getting low, and bags of groceries would show up on the front door, not even with a person, they would just be dropped off. And so I think when my, um, when I came along, my parents wanted to name me Faith because they really were truly living by faith at that point in their life. And then, as you know, my dad went on to become a minister and um, really what he did, not a traditional minister even, he was serving in rescue missions, um, helping men and women find a new life um, off the street. So um, that's a little bit about about my background and about my name. I had no idea, and I'm so glad I asked that question, and uh, I'm getting so much chills right now. (laughs) Wow, that's amazing. Oh, my God. Wonderful man. Oh, okay. So from there, let's, uh, I want to hear then a little bit more about your uh, experience growing up as a minister's daughter. Can you tell me a little bit more? Yeah, sure. I mean, so as you can imagine, we grew up without a lot of money. Um, We didn't have a lot of extra things, um, which was fine. We typically lived in low-income housing because my dad would get his his package when he worked at these rescue missions. Part of it would be a place to live. And so we would usually live close to the place where my dad would serve. And I would say growing up in that that environment, in those conditions, I learned a lot of courage. I learned a lot of assertiveness. I had to stand, I remember having to stand up to neighborhood tough guys at points in time, you know, sort of scary situations that I had to to navigate as a young adult. And, um, you know, I started working early, I would say, and saving my money um, to get the things that I wanted. And, you know, I reflect back on our strong family unit and particularly my mother's incredible strength and dedication to her girls. I have three sisters really helped offset any lack of things that we might have felt. And I would say I grew up not feeling the poorness of what we had. And I really developed a sense of independence, which was also balanced by a clear faith in God's provision for our family and for me. 
Wow. So you, your mom met your dad before he became the minister? Yeah. And I honestly don't know that my parents would have, their marriage would have really sustained because, you know, that was, they were going through a lot of tough things. And my mom really, my mom really actually came to know God earlier than my dad, much earlier, actually seven years earlier. So that was kind of part of the journey. And my mom, um, you know, my mom was just, you know, you can imagine this, just so many challenges in, in just going through all of that. Right. And, and just being, um, that constant, um, someone I respect so much and look up to and really want to live a lot like how she did. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. So four daughters, and I know you have four sons, so you're, you probably thought it was like, hey, it's your turn now, but the other way. <laughs> it's ironic that you say that, Sue, because my dad always wanted, I, I imagine we had four girls because my dad always wanted a boy. And then all of us girls, there's only one girl that, that oh. is in the next generation. Everybody has boys. So it's kind of ironic. That's good. All right. Yeah. So you kind of mentioned your, you know, very important values that you you got from your parents and your background, and that that must have been probably important part how you navigate even now. So which of these values positively influence you and contribute to your success? You think? Yeah, it's a good question because there's a lot of values, and I talked about <clears throat> the value of hard work. I think I learned a lot of confidence growing up, confidence in my ability to overcome boundaries. And I've definitely leveraged that as well. You know, I had to work really hard as I think many successful people today have to do. I mean, I, I think nothing was given to me. I had to work for every piece of it. So I think that hard work ethic is certainly deeply ingrained in me. And sometimes I even worry about my children who haven't had to fight so hard as I did um, to be successful. But I would say probably the most overriding value that I've carried with me goes back to my confidence in God's plan for my life. Um, I can think of an example where like 10 years ago in, my, in, my, in the middle of my career at McKesson, I was going for a role that I was, I really wanted the job and I was qualified to do the job. I checked all the boxes and I didn't get the job. And I thought, well, honestly, I was perplexed, but I was also a little upset about it because I thought this is so obvious. You know, how, how did this happen? And maybe that's a little bit of arrogance, but um, I, I was really struggling with it. And in retrospect, I look back on it now and I know that I would not I, I expect that I would not be where I am today in the role that I am in if I had made that move. And so I just I believe in sort of providence. Right. And that that um, that ability to trust that things are going to work out in the end mm. and they don't always work out exactly the way you think they should. But I think it's probably the biggest value um, that I've taken with me. You know, oh, my God, that is so important because uh, I think my biggest issues is that like the fear. Sometimes I, if I just can trust, sometimes like trust myself, trust that somehow something that would be all right. And then, yeah, confidence will come and then I'll just be able to steady, continue and so, yeah, you're living up to your name. <laughs> well, there you go. Maybe, honestly, I do think that's a big part of it. It's funny you say that because I do think, you know, that was deeply ingrained in me and, and just part of who I am. Right. You know what my name means? So what? actually in South Korea, we uh, we use a Chinese character. So it's a Hyun Su is a two, two like a sign, the symbols of Chinese characters. The first one means uh, nice and kind. And second one is a uh, water, but it's more like shore uh, along the water shore. So I guess probably that's why I like the ocean and shore and the river and lake and all. And uh, yeah, so always like feeling like I have to be good. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I like that. And I like that a lot of other countries, their names do have meanings naturally, yeah. don't they? 
Okay, now let's shift the gear and then let's get into business world. So how did you enter the business world from where you are from, you know? Yeah, no, it's a good question. So I, um, you know, in college I studied, surprisingly I studied music in college. I was really passionate about, my mom loved music and I grew up with a focus on a lot of different components of music. I ended up focusing on the piano and when I was in college I studied piano, but um, in college I, my, my teacher and I quickly realized that in order to really be successful in music, you have to be like, you know, it's the top 3%. And I was not the top 3%, even though it was a passion for me. And so I wanted to be able to successfully take care of myself. So I ended up studying business. Um, and then, you know, like most people do post-college, began working for a company. It was a mid-sized ocean freight shipping company. And it was really interesting because it wasn't a big company. So I got a wide breadth of ownership. I was doing things like financial planning and analysis and budgeting. I managed the payroll process, the accounts payable process, um, even facilities. And so um, really, I think through that, ultimately, I even was running their railroad operations at one time. And so I got the opportunity through that to really understand that I was passionate about analytics and value creation. And that is what really led me to my role at McKesson and, and really my focus on, on finance. Wow. Wow. That makes sense. So just want to touch upon that piano part. Did you play piano at, at your church or for your father's, uh, um, you know, session, what do you call it? Ministry session? Oh my God. I'm not, I'm yeah, not going to church, obviously. <laughs> yeah, I did. I, you know, that's actually where I started all through high school and I did get into classical music and some of that through college and, um, but I always, um, you know, it was always something that we did. We used to even on um, weekends, sometimes we would go into like nursing homes and believe it or not, you know, there's a lot of lonely people in nursing homes and a mm -hmm. lot of them really love music and especially the old hymns. So we would, mm -hmm. my sisters all sang too. So we would play the piano and sing together. And so there's a lot of opportunities to leverage it in that way as well. I think that's probably why I enjoyed it so much. Yeah. Actually, my aunt, who used to live when I was little with us, she she's still a piano teacher, and she she always played the piano every week and weekend on Sunday in the church. So that's why I kind of have that relationship. Like it, that came to my mind. Like, oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> good. Okay, so yeah, the the way you got into the business, so that's why you have some strong financial background. And then uh, now I'm curious, how did you? get into the procurement before you jump into procurement world, I want to talk about a little bit uh, your current company. So maybe for those people who don't really know about McKesson, even though it's really well known company. Um, so yeah, tell, tell me a little bit more about the McKesson and then your industry. So what does your company do, um, including your overall missions and customer base, operating model, where, you know, is it a global company, a regional company? So yeah, so it's a good question. And honestly, you know, McKesson isn't the most known company in, in uh, it's interesting because it is a fortune nine company on the fortune 500 list. So it's a fortune nine, fortune nine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it tends to fly under the radar and that's somewhat intentional. Honestly, we don't do a lot of um, marketing because we're a distributor of mm -hmm. medical equipment, pharmaceuticals, technology solutions um, for the healthcare industry as a whole. And, you asked about our, our mission, you know, our purpose at McKesson is to advance healthcare for all. And underneath of that purpose, our mission is to improve care in every setting. We say one product, one patient, and one partner at a time. And so I think one of the things that many of us take pride in at working at McKesson is the, um, 
the nobleness of what we do, right? There's so much opportunity to do good and add value. I mean, even in this recent COVID epidemic, McKesson played a massive role in really um, quickly engaging and helping the government to address some of the challenges. So, you know, we often say, one of my favorite quotes that I hear around McKesson is, it's not a package, because we distribute a lot of packages. It's not a package, it's a patient. Um, so you asked about our customer base. We service the entire healthcare population in the U.S. And so pretty much anywhere you go to get healthcare, if you look around, you may see uh, McKesson labeling on certain products or certainly even if it's not McKesson labeling, something that we would have distributed and provided. Um, you also asked about like kind of regionality. We did venture into Europe a couple of years ago uh, and recently divested that Europe business with goal to focus on the US and really develop our strategic priorities. We're very focused, uh, certainly wanna grow the core of what we do, but we see great opportunities to advance healthcare for all, specifically in the areas of biopharma services, as well as in the oncology services space. We have partnership with thousands of oncology um, uh, groups that have a lot of great data and information. And we're excited about the opportunity at McKesson to leverage that for the good uh, of uh, of humanity. Mm, yeah, I mean, healthcare is so important these days. It's an exciting area. We are all getting, uh, we're going to uh, all live longer. <laughs> and then uh, also all the new technology like AI is going to really advance this life science area. So super exciting. Um, yeah. And just to understand a little bit more about this whole distribution and then supply chain of the life science. So help, because all I know is, uh, okay, company like Pfizer who makes uh, drugs, and then I go to the pharmacy, the drugstore, buy it. <laughs> That's pretty much all I, I guess it's good that I don't know much because I don't go to hospital very often. Yes. <laughs> so my question, so you guys are actually distributing everything from the, actually the drugs, uh, the, the medication to the medical devices, to the hospitals and so on. Yeah, we're the largest healthcare distributor. We distribute uh, about a third of all pharmaceuticals every day that anyone takes. Um, and then again, you know, large portion of the medical equipment, a lot of the systems that are in healthcare area, um, providers, um, spaces are managed and distributed by McKesson as well. So, yep, we're in a lot of different areas, quietly mm. behind the scenes. <laughs> good, good. All right. Thanks for that extra explanation. And I'm curious, how many employees do you have at McKesson then? Yeah, so right now with the disposition of Europe, we're right around 50,000 employees wow. in the U.S. Wow. Well, it's amazing that you're like Fortune 9. <laughs> yeah. And, okay. you know, it's uh, so McKesson, the one thing I'll say about McKesson, and you can clearly see this if you research it, is that we're high on the revenue side, which is how Fortune 500 measures. Right. Um, but we are low on the profitability side. So we, um, you know, which is why procurement plays such an important and interesting role at McKesson, right? Because oh. We, we drop pennies to the to the dollar or pennies to the bottom on every dollar that we sell uh, where a company like SAP they would have a very different profile right profitability profile and so right. every um every spend is so critical that we really are um you know judicious about it mm, I see I see so what is the hardest topics in your industry as an insider tell me because I'm assuming you talk about AI but <laughs> that's my perspective that's my world we talk about AI every day so what do you talk about what is the hardest topics yeah so it's interesting you ask that question I mean I, I really do think um, data 
is a very big topic in healthcare today. And it's, it's, a, it's important because we know that there's so much value in healthcare data, but there's also a lot of privacy concerns around it. Um, and because of those privacy concerns, it can be difficult to move the speed and you have to move the speed in this environment that we have today. And so I think we talk a lot, a lot about how, and, and procurement has a place in this as well, as you guys all know, um, if anyone listening that's, that does procurement, I mean, we have to you know do the right due diligence around data and the privacy, but that can slow down the process. And so a lot of what we spend our time talking about at McKesson is how do we leverage the, the power of the data that we have to support things like access and adherence across patients? Are they taking their meds? Are they adhering to those meds? How are we taking clinical trial outcomes that we're supporting within the biopharma areas? And how are we helping take those clinical trial outcomes and deliver true health outcomes that are going to drive value quickly? So I would say that's probably one of the biggest um, you know, topics. I think the other topic that it's not a new topic is just the cost of healthcare and the pressure to reduce the cost. And so we work a lot to try to create an environment that supports our customers because they're getting that pressure to reduce costs as well. And so how do we help them successfully navigate some of those challenges? Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Makes sense. So let's now go into more procurement. So you mentioned a few times, you know, the role of procurement in the, in the bigger context here, but what draws, what drew you to procurement in the beginning? I'm smiling because initially I was not drawn to procurement. Um, so my background is finance, um, really a lot of FP&A, financial planning and analysis, budgeting, um, business cases, all that good stuff, right? Um, and I did that for for many years. That was my background. And with, when I was in finance, honestly, I saw procurement as a very transactional kind of right. process, and I didn't find it as particularly sexy. <laughs> Not something I ever envisioned myself moving into. Um, but I did. Um, move into a role where I began interacting more with sourcing and procurement, and I began to understand more of what they did and how really the potential that there was to deliver value across the entire business. And that part of it really got me excited. Uh, okay. So then can you recall some breakthrough moment or project that uh, from your career? I guess it could be within procurement or even before, but in general. What kind of breakthrough moment, moment did you have? Um, so I'm, <laughs> that's a good question because there's a number of them I could point to. I think the most breakthrough moment was before I came to procurement, actually. It was um, sort of mid-career for me. I'm 10 years in at McKesson. I'd been with the medical surgical business unit for 10 years. I was a subject matter expert. I'd worked my way kind of up in that, uh, in that um, area. And I just had my fourth child. So I was sort of ready for a change. And I took a risk and I did a job that, you know, even at the time I thought I was speculative about because it was moving from leading a team. I was a VP leading a team of 25 team members. It was a lateral role. It was a role where my team was in San Francisco and I was in Richmond. Um, it was a corporate function. So lots of things about that role that were somewhat risky. I hadn't been doing that work. I wasn't a subject matter expert, but it did provide me a lot of executive exposure and it also provided me with the opportunity to deliver material value to the business at a time when they really needed it. And I know now, looking back on that moment, getting out of my comfort zone, it was hard and it was risky, uh, mm -hmm. but it was rewarding for me to do that. And so uh, I would say that probably was a, a breakthrough moment because from there, my career really started to take off. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So risk taking again a little bit, uh, if, but um, 
I guess uh, moving to did you say ladder that uh, like side move it was not necessarily upward, but the side exactly. move that, that it was a side widen your horizon and the yeah. visibility, right? Okay. In fact, some people thought it was a backward move if you think uh -huh. about it, because I was moving from managing a team to an individual contributor role. Like that's uh -huh. not something people do typically that far into their career. Right. Uh, and, and it only lasted for, I only was an individual contributor for like five months and then they gave me a team, but you know, it was it was actually a really good restart for me Sue, uh -huh. to, to kind of focus on my own self and development as a leader. Uh-huh, yeah, yeah. So, um, I want to talk about procurement and your strategy. So uh, can you outline your current strategy and, and including for the next three years, I guess, or I don't know how you guys operate next two, three years, and then ex explain to me why you believe in it. The one yeah. makes you excited. <laughs> so I would say the great thing about McKesson right now is that we have a really good strategy, an enterprise strategy. And so as a leader within McKesson, it's easy to fold into that strategy and really understand um, you know, the work that we're doing and what's important. Uh, I've been leading the indirect procurement at McKesson now for five years. It's hard to believe. And the first three to four years, they were highly transformational. Um, and because of all of that change and all of that to manage through the past year, I've really intentionally put a push the pause button for the team and tried to give us time to stabilize a little bit. At the same time, I would say over the next three years, we're going to be focused on um, really improving the customer experience. And when I say customer, I'm talking about the McKesson purchaser, our external suppliers, uh, as well as our own team's experience doing the work that they do. So we'll focus on things like improving our cycle times. We're going to be leveraging automation and AI in procurement and really trying to simplify the procurement process at McKesson. Mm. So in that transformation period, when you just got in as like kind of newbie as a procurement leader, um, how how was the status of your transform like digital transformation? Did you leverage SAP at back then already? Yeah, we did. So um, you know, I think I was fortunate when I came in a few years ago. Certainly, the team needed leadership and needed structure, but we did have a good foundation in place in terms of systems. We had Ariba SAP. Ariba was. Um, pretty much almost not universally used, but mostly it is now universally used. Um, we had, um, you know, uh, our ERP was SAP, so there was good connectivity there. We had a good spend analytics tool. So a lot of the things that I needed to be successful were already in place. A lot of what I needed to look at from a transformational process was the way we worked, our operating model, how we leveraged, you know, the skill sets across the team, how we, we had a lot of good policies, but we didn't enforce them. So how were we going to create compliance in a way um, that was supportive of the business? How are we going to build those relationships? And that was honestly why me as a non-procurement person at McKesson was 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 accepted in the roles because we needed to do that. So to answer your question, you know, we've got a lot of good tools in place. In fact, we have um, we use Concur for travel and we are getting ready to be using Field Glass for our VMS tool here shortly. Wow, awesome. Yeah, you would be our best to reference customer. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, so what is what is your highest priority at work this year? So um within our team, we call we we have what we call ruthless priorities. And I'll be honest, I borrowed that terminology from Patty Azzarella, um, her book Rise. 
Uh-huh. And so, you know, it's it's important to really be focused, I think. And we've learned that we've gotten better at that over the past few years. So our first goal, um, our first priority is uh, our supplier diversity program. Historically, our supplier diversity program has been focused on reporting what we need to for the government. And we really want to transform that into more of an impact focused um, strategy. So we are rolling that out and pulling together a lot of good champions across the business to help us with that. Um, secondly, we are focusing on a project we call a day in the life of a category manager. And we are really trying to understand the pain points for our team members and really seek to address those over time. And so that's our second ruthless priority. And then our third ruthless priority this year uh, is the, I, I referred to this, but it's the implementation of SAP Field Glass. That is no joke. That is a big initiative to transform your VMS. And so um, that is a, another big focus area for us this year. Wow. Yeah, I definitely would love to see our teams, many teams in SAP can help you on these journeys and that those three priorities. And uh, you know that how I feel about supply diversity. This is so definitely important things for even creating real human impacts. And uh, the second one, interesting, because I don't know whether you heard about it. Uh, category management is like the biggest, uh, the newest, the shiniest thing that we are launching as a new yeah. product. So maybe hopefully that can maybe be good use for you guys. And so, have you know, having enjoyed such a long, successful journey within a single company and such a big company. So tell tell me a little bit more how you navigated and constructed your career plan. You mentioned a few examples of how you moved to lateral and, or how you didn't get the job. But in general, just summarizing it all, if you giving us some. Um, career advice for the, some younger people looking for. So yeah, how, tell me a little bit more about your journey. Um, so I would say I was probably not as intentional as I should have been looking back on it. I think I um, I thought, well, work really hard, do great work. I didn't even think I needed to market myself, honestly. I thought, well, people will see me and I'm a hard worker. They're going right. to. And so I, I did learn over time. I would say when I made that transition and I talked about that role that I took 10 years in, that was also where I really started to get serious about building my career. I began building relationships and leveraging those relationships from an influence perspective. I began seeing networking through a more positive lens. Historically, I had thought networking is, you know, people who networked were just like salespeople trying to mm -hmm. sell themselves. And I began to realize that as I grew my relationships, I grew my influence, which was really good for McKesson because I could get more done for McKesson. And I began looking at it as part of my job mm -hmm. and not selfishly as, a, as being about me. And so that was really a big part of it. Um, and I began really focusing on delivering value. I stopped, I, I wasn't all thinking about, okay, what's my next job? Where am I going to go? How do I move? Mm. I began thinking, how do I deliver value that is meaningful to the business? And people started noticing that value and opportunities began coming to me. And then I think the third thing, and I still struggle with this, honestly, but I work really hard to be open-minded about opportunities that might be out of my comfort zone. Uh, I think that has been an important part and will mm -hmm. continue to be an important part of my career journey at McKesson. Mm. So I want to ask you about the relationship, because we all say that often, build a good relationship, expand your network. But what do you mean, how? <laughs> do I start calling someone that I like, or I don't even know where to begin, And you know? Yeah, 
So, I mean, I, we could spend a podcast talking about this because it's something I'm so passionate about. I spend a lot of time even mentoring people around it because it is, I would say it's my superpower, but it mm-hmm. certainly was not at one time. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a book I referenced earlier by Patty Azzarello. It's called Rise. And she's got some good, solid advice in there on, on mm-hmm. how to build relationships. And I, I did leverage that a lot at the beginning, but you do have to be super intentional. I mean, even today, I'm I'm very intentional. I have a spreadsheet that shows who I meet with, how often I meet with them, wow. um, because it is important to stay connected to the right people. And that changes over time. Uh-huh. And also, everybody's important. Like, that's the biggest thing I learned. You never know where people are going to go or how they're going to transition. You know, I, I remember one time working with somebody, I sent them cookies in the mail because they had helped me out with something. And you know, a couple of years later, they ended up being a role that I really needed something from. And it wasn't, I didn't send them the cookies because I thought they were going to give me something later. Right. But that relationship that we had built through that kind of hard process allowed us to be really successful in the future. So a lot of it is investing in the love bank. I call it the love bank, right? Just keep on putting good things in there. And then you, at times you may want to take deposits later down the road. So um yeah so so basically if i summarize it uh you do have system and very intentional about it so but at the same time it's more about giving so then later on you can take it (laughs) yeah you invest in others and you have to it has to be genuine it has to be genuine because that's how you build trust right right yeah okay and then i would definitely check that book out (laughs) right so then what is the most valuable advice you got from someone in terms of career advice? Yeah, so similarly around that time I was transitioning, I remember being in a leadership session where the person presenting said, um, as you're thinking about moving through the organization, it's important to find your sweet spot. And then he explained that further to say your sweet spot is, if you think about it, almost like a a Venn diagram, right? Where three circles that are kind of corresponding and correcting the sweet spot being in the middle. The first circle is what are you passionate about? The second circle is what are you skilled at? What are you naturally or what skills have you developed over time that you're particularly good at? And then the third circle, which a lot of people forget about in the whole career journey process is what does the business need right now. Mm. And if you can find a place where you're working, where you're passionate about what you do, you're really good at it, and the business needs that work done right now, you really will not have to fight for your career. Your career will naturally progress um, and you'll be excited and engaged about the work that you're doing. Yeah, Uh, that's such a good advice. Sweet spot. (laughs) I'm gonna be thinking about it. Am I in the sweet spot right now? (laughs) Okay, good. Um, Is there something uh, you would go back and tell yourself at the age of 21, if you could? I think this goes back to some of the things you and I have already talked about. I think I would challenge myself to be more open-minded, more willing to take risks and get uncomfortable. And even I would expand that not just to the job, but even taking risks with people and trusting more, assuming good intent with people. Um, Unfortunately, those are the things that the learnings that come with age, right? Um, So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. but then let's think the other way around. What do you think your seven years, seven year old self? So what achievement would your your uh, would would you want your seventy year old self to take pride in? I've been thinking about this a lot lately. It's interesting Sorry. you asked me that question. I've been thinking, and I'll uh, yeah, I've been thinking about the end versus the the beginning. <laughs> so I think that's easy for me to answer because 
most important for me is um, I want to be I want to be able to look back and say that I raised four boys who were men of character and conviction. Super important to me. Um, and then I think also this is going to sound a little touchy feely, but it's it's true. I want to be remembered as someone who cares. Um, one of my favorite quotes is a Dr. Seuss quote. It comes from the Lorax story. And it says, unless someone like you cares a whole awful lot, nothing is going to get better. It's not. And um, I want to be that person, um, whether that be at work, helping to make things better at work, or whether that just be helping and encouraging other people. That's how I fill my love bank and keep mm. myself, um, you know, excited about life. No, I started with a goosebump. Now I'm about to cry. I don't know why. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's good. Okay. So let's complete this podcast with a famous final question. <laughs> complete this sentence. I am optimistic, dot, dot, dot. Mm. Um, so much to be optimistic about and also so much to not be optimistic about, right? As we think about life. But um, I would say I'm optimistic about the future because going back to what I said earlier in the podcast, I believe that God's in control of my future, my kids' future, even my team's future. but. I don't, I'm also, as I said to you, I've been thinking a lot more lately about not so much about what I'm optimistic about in the future, but I want to live for today. Um, mm. Not always striving for the future, what it holds. I, I've been reading this book. I've just finished a book. It's called Living Life Backwards. Mm. And it shares the wisdom of Solomon, who um, many people will say is the wisest person that ever lived. Um, but in the book that he wrote, Solomon wrote, he reminds us that we're all going to die. That is mm -hmm. a truth. We are all going to die and life is like a puff of wind. And when you when you stop and think about how quickly life goes by, I think it reminds us that we while we should be striving to grow and improve ourselves and the world, we shouldn't be striving so hard um, for those future goals and aspirations that we forget to live right. in the moment and be content yeah. and grateful for what we have now. So I am really optimistic about uh, my ability to live in the moment and really appreciate the things that life has for me now. That's the wisest uh, uh, I'm optimistic ever. Because <laughs> you're right, all we got is now and then being in the moment and being present, being mindful, so important. And thank you for being uh, such a conscious leader. And then I'm so honored to have you, especially in my power lounge with other amazing female CPOs. And uh, I, I, I need to share your light and power together with others. And But first, we do need to recharge ourselves. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, thank you. And can I just say, I just want to say, Sue, thank you for your leadership, because I think um, you stand out to me among someone who does demonstrate that caring and that passion about what you do. And it's made a difference for me, certainly helped me. And I know other leaders in this industry as well. So I appreciate you taking the time to help us learn from each other. Thank you so much. Oh my God, this was, a, it was so, so wonderful. I think just my body is telling. <laughs>